welcome to this week's edition of Parley, the Hindu's weekly discussion podcast. I'm Poojha, your host for today, and we're going to look at mother tongue or English as the medium of instruction in schools. Language for long has been a point of debate, especially when it comes to educational institutions in the country. Joining me today to shed some light on this important topic are Professor V. Basanti Devi. educationist and former vc of the manonmanyam sundaranar university and anita rampal professor and former dean faculty of education delhi university thank you so much for speaking to us uh, both of you i would um, like to start off by touching upon the national education policy which says that you know the home language mother tongue local language or regional language wherever possible should be the medium of instruction until at least grade 5 but preferably till grade 8 um to both of you here what are your thoughts ma'am on this aspect of the policy i would like to start with a lot of caution if this this discussion is to endorse the nep i'm sorry i'm the wrong person for it i want to make it clear that perhaps the only component component of nep i approve of is its meek suggestion that the mother tongue of the child could be the medium of learning till fifth class i call it a meek suggestion because there seems to be no will to enforce it especially in the context of nep's overall philosophy of privatization of education and marketization with unbridled freedom to the private sector with no regular regular regulatory control to the state now coming to the topic of um, what should be the medium of learning in schools i think there is an almost complete consensus among educationists uh, linguistic experts psychologists that mother tongue or the language of the region where the child lives is the only appropriate language of learning for children a child can be taught any number of languages particularly later in life but the medium through which the child learns should undoubtedly be the mother tongue a large number of classrooms in india today are stocked by the curse of incomprehension these are the growing number of schools that teach in english these are private schools these are all generally private schools that have taken over taken over our urban space and have also extended their tentacles into rural india teachers in these schools cannot teach in english and children by no means can comprehend anything that's why i said there is a it's a curse of incomprehension now government schools too in states like tamil nadu unable to bear the pressure from parents and um, to save their flock of students from from migrating to private schools are switching over to english medium um ma'am tamil nadu i was going to ask the next question to you anyway so anita ma'am can probably yeah anyway i'm not going to talk about tamil nadu yeah anita kens uh, yeah uh, i think purvaja this is a very very critical issue that you have raised and i'm happy we are having a parley on this uh, because i as an educationist have said for long that we don't have a language policy uh, we take ad hoc decisions we've had a, a language formula a three language formula which was more 
during the 50s and 60s when states were getting reorganized on the linguistic basis. But uh, that too, the formula doesn't look so much at the pedagog pedagogical aspects. And now in the last 50, 70 years, we know much more about how children learn and the pedagogy of that. Uh, so I think it's important that we really have a proper a well understood pedagogically uh, considered language policy. Uh, so when the pol I agree with what uh, Professor Vasanti has just said about the NEP and I too find it extremely problematic and cannot endorse most of its thrust uh, in, uh, but here I want to also specify that the regional language itself can be problematic. It doesn't say much. The mother tongue, the home language, the first language educationally means that the language which the child is using to connect to the world, uh, that to connect to people, to connect to nature, to connect to the environment and to make sense of everything that's going around. And that is what the language which helps the child to build and to grow and to develop in every way. So reading and writing, and I want to specify that learning languages as the policy sometimes uh, implies is as if children can learn many languages. Children may learn to speak if they are immersed in a certain environment or they're communicating with friends, but reading and writing is very different from learning to speak or understand, uh, to listen to or think in. And these are different kinds of areas which are important to understand pedagogically. So if we have to talk of learning to read and write, the first language should be the language of the home, the language in which the child is communicating and interacting with the world around her. Uh, there is no question about this because all research now across the world tells us this. And I just want to say one thing which I always wish people to realize that a country which is poorer than us, the education minister had come here and told us Papua New Guinea, which has, which has been using more than 400 languages for its primary textbooks, has a population much less than any of our large cities. So, you know, it is the commitment to the right of the child, which is important, and not what is convenient to us as teachers or teacher educators or the system or the government. Because here we think language problem, we talk of it as if it's a problem, it's not a problem for the child. And as Professor Vasanti has said, it's the language of learning, not the medium of instruction. We are not talking of instruction at all. Uh, we don't want any classroom to be based on instruction, which is a very didactic, authoritative term. And we want it to be interactive. We want it to be a transaction. And I want to say one more thing that children, uh, as I said, if they are immersed in different languages and uh, our country does have, a, a, you know, we find that in practice, there are many places which are actually bilingual, multilingual, many classrooms where children, especially if you look at the first language, and that's why I'm separating this from the state language. You know, in Jharkhand, uh, the state might say Hindi is a language, but we know that 50, 60% children don't speak Hindi. You know, they will not be able to deal with Hindi textbooks. So we must look at the first language or the languages which children bring to the classroom their first languages. And then that is how we uh, uh, design, develop uh, an interaction, develop what learning means. And the pedagogy of language is very different for the first language as it is for a second language. 
And so that is something which our system doesn't understand. We treat every language as a subject, and that is a tragedy of our system. It's not a subject. And uh, we have to understand that teachers will also use different pedagogies when they are dealing with a second language or a third language when we come to English. But this is a political decision and all our states are taking these decisions against violating what should be the right of a child. And that I think is very important to understand. Yes, ma'am. Um, Vasanthi, ma'am, I also wanted to ask you, you know, you mentioned Tamil Nadu um, specifically and how, you know, there are, the state has been promoting English medium schools as well for the la over the last decade. Can you, can you tell us a bit more about that, ma'am, and elaborate on what you said earlier on the state and what you know is the way forward? Now, see, first of all, I will talk about not only Tamil Nadu, about English becoming the medium of learning uh, all over the country. And, and uh, it is possibly a little bit uh, uh, more uh, applicable to Tamil Nadu because Tamil Nadu was one of the early states to start on um, uh, English medium uh, learning in a very, very big way. So uh, now, now English medium education, I think, is a profound tragedy in Indian, in, in Indian education today. The millions of our children and youth are languishing today because of their inability to learn in English, not English as a language alone, but, but as it is the medium through which they acquire any knowledge of any subject. Now, English is undoubtedly their dream and their despair. And these are children who belong to the vast majority of Indian population, except those at the very top of our class caste social pyramid. And it is only for those who are at the top, English has become almost a home language. Now, why is all this happening? Now, Indian education system today is an architecture of exclusion. India has constructed an education system that is among the most exclusionary in the world. The impulse behind the construction of the education system is excluding the vast majority from the world of all opportunities, except the lowest and the least paying jobs. These alone can be permitted to them. Every component of education, curriculum, pedagogical methods, testing and certifying methods, each and every rule of the game is carefully crafted for fulfilling this, this class purpose. Uh, I have a favorite cartoon. Uh, I'm sure all of us know about this. Dennis the Menace. Um, Cartoons. This, this five-year-old Dennis the Menace is teaching a game to his friend, a four-year-old Joey. And he tells him, remember, Joey, you can win in any game if you are the one to make the rules. Okay? So if you are the one to make the rules, then you will win in any game. And who makes the rules for our education system today? These are the uppermost classes the, to some extent, middle classes also. And uh, for what, for what uh, objective, for, uh, for what uh, life's uh, goals are they doing this? Not for empowering the entire uh, population of uh, the country, uh, the, all the children and, uh, and the youth, for, for leading a purposeful, meaning, meaningful life, and also for entering into the many opportunities perhaps the 
your world is uh, opening up. It's not for that. The middle and upper classes program their children for world conquest. Sky is the limit for these children. The children of these the children of these classes are the pride of the nation. No price is too big to be paid for making the world safe for these chosen children. So a, a world exclusive must be built for them and the ramparts safeguarding the world must be made inviolable, bulletproofed against encroachments by all and sundry. So all and sundry, which means 80% of the Indian population must be pushed out of uh, <coughs> any uh, worthwhile education, any education that will open up opportunities to them. It is with that every aspect of uh, the education education system today, not only the language, but um, the entire curriculum, the pedagogical methods, testing methods, all these are uh, certifying methods, whether they are your uh, need or whatever they are. And uh, all these are promoted and uh, accepted by the state uh, because that is what will push out most of them and keep the world domination in their hands. Now, the dominant form, form of exclusion and demarcation is the language of learning. A whole universe of exclusion has grown around English language. English is the sole language of privilege, and power, of opportunity, aggrandizement. In today's India, those who can handle English with felicity and aplomb, and those who can function only in their mother tongue or regional language, belong to two different worlds. English is not the white man's curse, but the brown Indian's chosen weapon of domination. Millions of our youth today are crushed and lose all their hopes in life and are eaten up with a sense of inferiority because of their inability to master English. No corporate door will ever open to them. Now, when I say all this, I'm, I'm not saying that this 80% of the Indian population must be denied access to a language, a global language that will open up many opportunities. No, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm only opposing English as the medium of that. But as a second language, English must be, ta must be taught very effectively. And that is the way the whole world is learning English today. The entire um, uh, non-English speaking world is also learning the, uh, English today, but not as the medium but as, as uh, a second language, whether they are Chinese or Japanese or, 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 or even those who were in the very advanced countries like France or Germany, they all learn. And also what is most important we need to remember is that this is, this is how English was learned till the 1980s and 1990s in my generation. Till my generation. Now, in those days, the public school system, substantially funded by the state, was he able to serve the needs of the early decades of independence. The ideals of this freedom struggle were still in the air, inspiring dreams and plans of nation building. There was a level playing field where the poor could compete with the better off, with confidence and a fair chance of success. Language of learning was mother tongue or regional language, in, which was in continuation of late colonial education. Late colonial period did not impose English as, a, as the medium. English was taught as a second language, imparting a fair degree of proficiency to students. 
The products of the generation of public schools rose to heights and occupied pinnacles of position and power in all fields, civic, political, economic, scientific, administrative, Indian administrative service and other equivalent services, medicine, law, etc., etc. Uh, all these were occupied. These pinnacles were occupied by those who studied in their mother tongue or, or regional medium, but learned English as an effective second language. So this is how English must be promoted. So let it not be said that uh, I am, or both Anita and I, we are enemies of English language. Not at all. We all learned English language and we all handle English language. Um, so this should not become a class weapon. English medium should not become a class weapon to exclude and subjugate the majority of uh, Indian children. Uh, children and I think, and I that, think we I must say. Yeah. yeah, I think we have to remember that uh, there are political forces even now, especially the Dalit groups, who uh, insist that English has been the language of liberation for them. And they look at it because of the denial and the complete deprivation of Dalits in the education system. They look at it as that. And that's important to acknowledge. The only thing is, I think the pedagogical aspect of a child learning a second language much better if the proficiency and the confidence in the first language is established in the first four or five years. That is important. Uh, so what is the second language? And that's what I'm saying. If a child is coming from a tribal community and the first language is a tribal language, it's important as the world over, we know that uh, it can be scripted a language doesn't have a script. There are myths and misperceptions about languages having their own script. No language has its own script. You borrow a script depending on the orthography or the sounds of the language and how they can be represented. So we are finding in our country, in some states, that there is this attempt to have tribal languages or indigenous languages. But again, there are two things to remember. Uh, uh, whether it's in Odisha or it's Nasam, where these experiments were on, these are being given as a second language only in a way as a tokenism. You know, it's like a subject. You have to, you have to learn everything else in another language, which is the state language. And this language becomes a tokenism that, oh, well, you are also being taught your uh, tribal language. That is not what we are saying. The first language is the language that you speak. And if you learn to read and write and, and to understand the world through that language, that is what gives you the proficiency and the confidence to be able to re read and write a second language, which can be the state language and a third language, which should be English. You know, I mean, depending in this kind of a context. So where is English the second language? Where is it the third? Has to be very carefully planned given the child enough time and uh, space to be able to be confident in the first reading and writing process. You know, in Delhi, we have Sardar Patel School, which is amazing because it has always maintained a language policy that Hindi, I mean, so even though children come from all different in a city, obviously there are many different languages children speak. So it's not really looking at the mother tongue of children, but it's going with Hindi as a language, and which is not what we are trying to say in terms of a, a mother tongue. But 
we find that when they switch to English, they switch very carefully. And they switch to English and they also after, after three, four years have another Indian language. You know, they give a choice to the child to learn another language. So I'm saying that that switching and transition has to be important, done carefully, done pedagogically and with the teachers understanding what is happening. But when I first spoke, I said that having a multilingual classroom, accepting a multilingual, yes, a multilingual approach where children are coming from different languages. And in many regions now, children are engaging with different languages. I think that is important for us. And uh, that needs careful planning and that then needs the second language uh, how it comes and uh, how teachers understand children's learning. Our focus should be on children's learning. But yes, we need a lot of public opinion to be shaped and negotiated with. That is very crucial, uh, including, as I said, the Dalit's insistence I have had in our faculty of education, uh, leaders coming, uh, Kancha Ilaya or Uditraj and other leaders coming. And uh, we found that in a short time, it's very difficult to, uh, for them to even appreciate what we are saying pedagogically. So I'm saying that let us not think that just overnight imposing something works, whether it's English or the mother tongue, but it needs pedagogical understanding and it needs shaping of public opinions for people to understand children and not just come from political positions. The understand, I mean, I fully agree with what Anita has said about uh, uh, the demand for English. Now, English as a medium. Now, there is no dispute at all on whether English must be, must be learned or not. English must be learned, but whether as a medium of learning or as, as a second language or a third language in cases where children have uh, a different uh, uh, mother tongue from the regional language. Now, uh, as uh, Anita said, building the public opinion is very important, including the opinion of the Dalit leaders. But <coughs> along with that, I would also say today in, in Tamil Nadu, most places, I guess, um, if you ask the poorest of the poor mother in in the most distant place in in uh, uh, most distant village coming out she will want an english medium english as a medium now how how did this opinion how how did this this preference uh, how did this longing built up in the in the mind of the that uh, that most <coughs> deprived uh, uh, mother how did it build up? Now, this is the clue to why there is so much of a craze for English as the medium of learning among those who can never succeed in English as the medium. Now, who are these people who are clamoring for, for, for uh, English as the medium? Most of them, I, I will come to the, the Dalit opinion later. Now, the, uh, now, I'm talking about the general public particularly mainly uh, with my understanding of the Tamil public. Now, the, uh, and this is the reason why Tamil Nadu, uh, the government has introduced uh, English as the medium of uh, learning in many of the government schools where the poorest of the poor coming from the first generation learning families are enrolled. So how, how did it come about? Well, I think this comes about by uh, by how by the by the entire 
functioning of uh, a class society. And in our society, it's a class caste society. Now, anything that is that that seems to be bringing uh, advantages or, or bringing uh, uh, coming up in life to to those who are above them, above in India, you know, it's not only class but it's also caste. So, though for whatever has benefited these upper classes, upper caste is immediately taken as as the only one through which they also can advance in life. Now, this whole uh, uh, sanskritization of aping the upper caste and, uh, and thinking that that, that is where their, their uh, uh, fortunes also lie, that this is ingrained in the Indian mind. I'm, I'm not sure whether it is ingrained in a, in a non-Indian mind, possibly. This is the way class society also works. Uh, it's, a, it's a class strategy that has, that has created the huge big myth that English as a medium of learning is necessary for modernizing or for globalizing or for, for any child to enter the world of opportunities. Now, why is this done? Now, this is a very well-established class strategy. That is, you create a field where you make everyone believe, particularly those who are losing out, believe that that is a neutral field. And then you draw, you, you, uh, you get the complete public consensus on its neutrality, but it is very heavily weighted in favor of those at the top. Or whether it is a neat examination or whether it is anything else today that is being uh, advocated as, uh, as something that proves merit. Now, it, it is a similar tactic, similar class strategy <coughs> that has led to English, uh, led to the clamor for English as a medium of, medium of life thinking that that is where opportunities lie. But once this field has been created, uh, created, then uh, 80%, 90% of the people of the population is, is uh, dragged into a field where it is bound to lose, where, it is, where there is no way they can succeed against an upper class, upper caste child that has, that has uh, uh, used English almost as a home language. That the child, in fact, today in most of the uh, better off families, English is a spoken language of folk. Now, how on earth is, there, is this uh, a, an equal competition? But there is this myth that has been built up. So, demystifying this is, is extremely important. And that cannot be easily done. Winning public uh, support for this requires considerable work of, uh, of those who are who are concerned about uh, not just education, concerned about concerned about our democracy, concerned about the basic values of our constitution, where, where it speaks about equal opportunities for everyone. And this is this English language is creating a world of extreme inequality. So, but but this cannot be easily done. Now, this will have to be done. It, this has to be done by by sustained public uh, uh, opinion building, sustained, uh, sustained uh, uh, campaigning from among those who have, who have suffered uh, by, by this system, saying that this is just not neutrality and you are being dragged into a field where you are bound to lose. 
you are the loser and you have you are being made to believe the otherwise so and the state of course ultimately the state will have to take the decisions and uh, the state once again the state is always a class instrument there's no doubt about that and so uh, can i can i come in here can i come in here uh, to just okay. say that the same thing holds for whichever language we take you know uh, this kind of a model which becomes uh, as if there's a certain privilege to a certain language even if we are talking of hindi or we are talking of malayalam the kind of malayalam that gets used in the classroom and that was what happened even in kerala you know with almost 100% of enrollment and almost every child getting a teacher and going to school kerala had realized that the kind of classicized malayalam that was being used you know was not every child's malayalam and i think that's important that happens with hindi when we were working in madhya pradesh it was a very sanskritized hindi that was being used not every child's hindi you know or uh, different languages so i think this understanding that what happens with english is also what happens with a given state language where it excludes a large majority of children because people think and that's what happens with hindi when we wrote the ncert textbooks in hindi the primary textbooks differently much more conversationally much more including different languages of children within the classroom uh, what was interesting was that even uh, schools and kendriya vidyalayas in uh, tamil nadu where we understand and appreciate the kind of uh, opposition to hindi hegemony even they said that children are enjoying uh, the textbooks so i'm trying to say that this exclusion happens in any language that we use because we use it of the upper classes upper caste the nature of the language is different and kerala had to do it it its language between north and south kerala is different uh, malayalam is different and so they had to make it they had to make the language more inclusive more conversational yeah. more colloquial I, I, I will, so that it brings I agree with you the one thing that you said anita you said what you said earlier that should be the main test that is the child's right which wherever the child is that child's right and the child's ability to learn to understand the world around to relate to the world around to grow and and absorb the the magnificent spread of uh, learning everywhere so it is a child's right and the child evidently will have to be if you i mean you there is there, as you said there is a there are micro areas that will have to be split up and then whatever uh, there will have to be considerable flexibility there and uh, on uh, which should be a main language uh, which should be the dialect and which which is most um, understandable to the child so as we say a child's right but today in the in the in the, in the context that where we are while we, we stress that basic uh, Uh, you know principle on which there should be no compromise the general we are talking also about about in the present context where the the, the conflict is between english and mother tongue and that is why i am stressing on this not because what you are what you are saying is not important but they the, the biggest divide has has uh, de- developed between these two and uh, and of course uh, there are so many other things so uh, so that is that is how i think we, we we need to do this a huge amount of public opinion of, of campaigning by by people by democratizing and politicizing 
democratizing and politicizing this this campaign is very very important those who are who are really with the majority with our constitution constitutional values of liberty uh, and equality and all that and uh, those who are rooted in them will have to carry on this this campaign tirelessly for a very very long time ani anita ma'am i wanted you know go back to what you were also saying you know at the start about a multilingual approach and you also you know gave us examples about you know how classrooms in kerala you know had had this problem so ma'am in what way can we you know or you know in what way should states be working towards creating an enabling environment you know in the classroom where you know it it's taken into consideration that students come from all sorts of diverse background backgrounds you know children come from backgrounds like this what sort of an enabling environment can be you know made or how can it be done yes i think first i want to say that we don't use now the word dialects they are all languages for us because there is a positioning and a politics of language which calls uh, bhojpuri or magahi or something is a dialect or or uh, pahadi or anything and then you know hindi stands on the pedestal and the purest approach where even hindi becomes sanskritized and classicized this is not democratic this is not the way children will learn and this is one of the major issues we must understand even when we are using a state language so when we are talking of multilingualism we are saying that one uh, of course accepting all as languages uh and not calling anything as dialect there are misperceptions that this the language which has a script is a language the others are dialects this is all wrong you know a script no language comes with a script we decide what script to use so santhali can be written in a, a different script for a bengali area it can be written in a different skip script in uh, uh, where odisha uh, where people are living in odisha so i think we know enough about languages and about also linguistically not differentiating or giving one an upper position and the other calling them uh, uh, you know uh, something which is not as good as the first one so multilingualism one gives equal status to all languages and and there's enough work and history and research on this and linguists today talk about it like that uh, two it says that children are coming also as i said from different backgrounds where they are first generation learners they don't have much uh, a support at home the print materials they may use are very different and the school doesn't even recognize those kinds of prints uh, you know or to see in their environment what is the kind of print literacy that children come across and how do we engage them with that and children make sense you know they can see they can see something uh, written and because they know the context they can guess what it is and we want them to be doing a lot of guessing also so uh, this approach is much more flexible it's closer to the child and it's inclusive it's democratic and it accepts that the teacher also is not coming from an authority uh, an authority who's only is correcting because that's what happens to teachers are only correcting spellings or correcting pronunciations calling the other wrong so this says that nothing is wrong in fact it's interesting that when we look at children learning english in other countries, countries their spellings are never corrected you know they are said that uh, in fact what is interesting they are told in england 
the teacher says that, you know, there is something really strange about our language. Uh, so they put it on the language, not on the child. They say, we say something, but we write it in some other way. So implying that it's not phonetic, what you say is not how you write it. You know, so I'm saying that is the way the child is taught that your brain must construct spellings. And on the way, you will learn that our language has some uh, strange ways of writing things. And you will learn that. So that is the way which is democratic, which is inclusive, which tells the child that it is not something that is being imposed on you. There may be norms and we don't, we don't go in a structuralist way. We don't insist on grammar coming first and then the child and the child's expression coming later. You know, so it's not structural. And uh, those are ways and there are pedagogies which are being used in our classes. We in our own Dell University, our Bachelor of Elementary Education has encouraged, that's the way we teach. We don't, and why it's problematic today in our country is because the assessments are done wrongly. Mom, that was, uh, Mom, I'm sorry to interrupt. So, you know, when you said, when you said a democratic, inclusive way, this was something that I was thinking about. You know, the topic of learning outcomes and assessments are hotly debated. They are contested, you know, how it is measured year on year. We have, we have surveys that are done. So looking at that, you know, how, how does it play here? Like you said, you know, it, it's not suitable, right? The way that assessments or learning outcomes are being measured in the country right now. Absolutely. One, I would say that this word learning outcome is a denial of children's rights because as the policy says, it only will focus on inputs and inputs. Uh, sorry, the policy says it will not focus on inputs. It will focus only on outcomes and it expects that to come out of the ch child's head or the child's pen. You know, and that is not at all an inclusive way of looking at learning. Uh, so uh, we are not in favor that's not the way we look at learning outcomes because you're measuring only what the child is giving you, not even saying how the child has learned, what kind of environment has the child learned in. So it's not an authentic way of assessing children. Uh, there are better ways in which you're not forcing them into these uh, uh, standardized uh, methods of assessing, but you're encouraging them uh, in all kinds of ways to express through various ways, speaking, uh, talking to each other, constructing uh, things, writing, reading, you know, and thinking. I mean, thinking is important because in our traditional ways of language learning, thinking never comes. It's only four skills, which is again, a very, very, uh, you know, very minimalist way of trying to look at how languages are learned. So in when we look at children, who can come and when they are given an environment where they are free to express, in fact, they are encouraged to express. And uh, that is what is important for language learning. Why is it the children with supportive parents or supportive resources at home manage to read and write much earlier? It's not as if their brains are different from other children. Uh, in my own Delhi University, I want to say that, you know, our department faculty of education is one of the very few, probably the only faculty which uh, uh, has English, we, we teach children, uh, sorry, not children, they're all adults, we teach students uh, when they come in for their bachelor of education or master of education, especially in bachelor of education, we have a Hindi medium section in that sense, you know, so we I teach know, the foundational Yes, I wanted to touch on that and ask both of you actually about um, 
as both of you are, you know, um, have experiences as educationists and have worked with students, you know, across age groups. When students, students who study their mother tongue and, you know, when they come uh, to college, do you see that, you know, their ability to learn other languages, pick up other languages, their, you know, cognitive abilities, are they much better? Are they more comfortable? What can also these institutions do, you know, to make an environment conducive for students who have studied in their mother tongue? Um, I would like both of you to answer this, uh, Vasanthi Ma'am and Anita. I'll just take this up. I was talking of this. So I just take it up uh, at both instances. In school, when we have assessed children, we've done our research. A student has done her PhD on trying to see, as I said, one school in Delhi where they start with Hindi and they transit to English. We have found that the way they express is so different from a child who is only coming from however rich and elite uh, English medium school. Here, the, even the English or the Hindi, they, they learn first in Hindi and then they write. Both are so nuanced, they're so deep, and they don't write a very textbookish, memorized kind of language, you know. And this was so clear in class seven. In class seven, we could see that a child from a very elite school, uh, those children, of course, pleaded that we shouldn't ask them to write in Hindi because we said we'll give a theme and we'll ask you to write in both languages, uh, you know, whatever you choose first. But right. So they kept saying, please don't make us write in English. But when they wrote, even their English was completely te textbookish, whereas in class seven, these children had just started learning English uh, for two years, but they wrote much better English and very good Hindi too. By when we say good is that the ideas were rich and the ideas were original. That's important for us. And in college, in college when they come, I find because I was teaching them who come in Hindi and then uh, uh, when in masters later they learn, I find that even when I had to wean them away from the terrible kunjis which they used to uh, go to in Hindi because often they found in the university they didn't get good suggestions about Hindi material. And that is our responsibility to get them good materials, you know, so that they don't have to bank upon terrible, uh, uh, you know, coaching guides. But when they had the confidence, they wrote so beautifully with much better observations, much better analysis than even some of my English medium students who had studied English right from school, right from the beginning. So I'm just saying, even at the university level, we can see the difference of thinking thoughts and expressions uh, once we give them. And then, of course, uh, they need the, the students who come in Hindi need a special support and special communication uh, uh, sessions where they can get over the inhibition of English because it's been too late. They should have had that earlier in school and then uh, that will help them. Absolutely, yes. Vasanthi, ma'am. Yeah. So how do you... How do you help the children make the transition to higher education where English will be, English is the medium? That's what, that's your question, right? Now, this can be done very well if English is taught as a second language effectively, maybe from grades, from class six uh, or, or so, but it must be taught effectively. As Anita was saying, any language has to be effective. And Teaching a language as a second language is different from teaching a language as a medium. So our teachers, first of all, will have to be trained through a very different process of teacher education. Now you find all the work country over. Um, the teacher education is pathetically poor. And uh, 
training teachers. Now, if you walk into any classroom in uh, in uh, Tamil Nadu, it'll be immediately it will strike you how how poorly equipped the children, the teachers are. So, considerable amount of investment will have to be done in uh, teacher education. And as we are talking about language and now all the other nuances um, Nita has talked about, I will only talk about this language English as the second language. If it can be taught effectively as it is done the world over and as it was done till the 1980s or 1990s because that all the changes that came in, uh, they are part of the neoliberalism syndrome. syndrome. So this um, uh, where privatization, cutthroat competition, etc. Et started. Now the so now the uh, the evidence in this for this is that uh, those who were who grew up in that generation, say my generation, till the 1980s generation, now the all of them were able to go wonderfully well in their, in their respective fields. They became great masters. They they were able to uh, climb all pinnacles, and they they won the global attention also. So in every field, whichever science or mathematics or, or uh, arts or wherever it is, they were made, they made their, their imprint. They were able to shine. So this is, uh, it is not that uh, that transition from school to, from a mother tongue uh, learning in school to, mother, to English, uh, English medium in colleges will be, a, will be very difficult to make. It's also a myth. Because as I said, we all experienced it the world over. It is being experienced, and uh, um, my generation definitely, definitely experienced this. So, so if, uh, but that is not easy. Once again, the teaching a language, teaching English, is uh, is a very big challenge in India today, and teaching it as a second language, it needs a particularly nuanced way of way of uh, developing those skills. So, those skills will be built up. And uh, and then this transition can be made. In fact, sooner than later, the higher education will also have to be in in the mother tongue, not in English. Now today it is not that very difficult. Now earlier on, in fact, in the in the eighties and even uh, even seventies, I would say in in, in Tamil Nadu, for example, a, a lot of work, work had done uh, had been done to to write all engineering education or bring in all entire engineering education in Tamil. And I think it was also done, it is being done in, in, uh, in some uh, uh, public universities here. So uh, the, the, uh, the choice is offered. So this can be done and this should be done. And today's development of technology, linguistic technology, you know, all your Google, etc., etc., translations is also not very difficult. They are, they are being made much easier. So sooner than later, the higher education uh, medium will also have to change to the mother tongue. So the mother tongue or the regional language, whichever is possible. So so that is that is what it is. So what I would really stress upon once again is that they, 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 this myth must be broken that our, our education system is class neutral and caste neutral. And uh, everything in this education system has been built in the interest of providing vast advantage 
to those who are at the top of the economic social pyramid. I mean, Joe, once again, uh, remembering Dennis the Menace, Dennis the Menace Joe. So all rules have been, have been framed in to favor this tiny little mi min minority sitting at the top and dominating the entire system, political system also. So, so this is this is how a, a, a very powerful political movement, a, a very powerful democratizing movement will have to take place. Even in, the, in this issue of uh, making education, making uh, the language of learning a, a, a choice that is made on democratic uh, issues, on democratic uh, philosophy. Yes. You know? So, yes, that is what I would say. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining us today. Um, it was a very insightful discussion. Good afternoon.